Ronananian. Gee, is technology reaching the point where it's outpacing the technician? No more, Mr. Nice Guy. No more, Mr. Clean. No more, Mr. Nice Guy. They say he's sick. He's a CEE. The Car Doctor. One of the local dealers is advertising the 4495 conventional oil change and talk about how we should all go out to the dealer and have the oil changes done there and turn down all the additional work that they, you know, somehow find wrong with the car. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, he. Hey, come on in, sit down. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor at your service at 855-560-9900. Again, that 24-7 Car Doctor hotline, 855-560-9900. Here to answer your questions, solve your problems, and give you a better relationship with both your automobile and your repair shop so that you're both on the same wavelength and can help keep that car going as smooth as possible down the road. More information about this radio show at cardoctorshow.com. Information there for various places to take podcasting. We podcast off that website, cardoctorshow.com, but also over at tunein.com, iHeartMedia, iHeart.com, iTunes.com, and also now playing out on Google Play. Down around the bottom of the hour, we're going to be joined by Steve Cook. Steve Cook is a former automotive instructor. He might be a current automotive instructor, but I'll tell you what, Steve seems to have a lot of the answers on what's going down on the street from outside of my arena in terms of what Steve sees. I always enjoy talking to him, and I'm, I'm sure you enjoy listening to him as he gives us some insight on what he's seen at some of the current instructor classes that he's going to. And uh, some of the things he's going to be talking about is changes to scan tool technology and locksmithing, locksmith capability, how it's going to affect um, coding keys and security on cars and theft systems on cars going forward. So we look forward to Steve down around the bottom of the hour, but I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900 this hour and also next hour if you're on an affiliate that's lucky enough to get both hours of the show or you're lucky enough to get both hours of the show vis-a-vis your affiliate. I think the way I want to start this week and I want to say thank you, first of all, for taking the time to join me this week, because I know you've got a lot of choices and a lot of things to do, and I'm always impressed, amazed, wowed um, to have you be there and the questions you ask and the things that you teach me and some of your mannerisms and some of your dues that uh, just really kind of you know, make this worthwhile. It really does. Tales from the Tales from the from the floor of the shop. New does not mean good. 2004 Chevy Impala came into the shop this week at R.A. Automotive for some air conditioning work. The condenser was leaking, and it needed an oil change. Well, actually, we didn't know the condenser was leaking when it first came in. The A.C. didn't hold the charge. And in the course of diagnosis, you could see it clear as the nose on your face, the blue sky. Congress is going to filibuster something and not vote on something else. As much as you know that's going to happen this AC condenser was leaking, and you knew that's where the refrigerant was going. That's why the system wouldn't turn on. In the process of doing the condenser, it became obvious that you might as well do the radiator because the two are sandwiched together. You've got to take one out to get to the other on this particular car, and it just didn't make any sense any other which way because at 150,000 miles, 12 years old, to do a condenser, 
and not a radiator meant that three months from now the radiator was going to go bad and you'd end up having to do it anyway and take most of what you just took apart back apart again. So I did a condenser. I did a radiator, put some fresh coolant in it, put an accumulator on it, a dryer, a desiccant bag, whatever you want to call it in your part of the country, in your, in your wheelhouse. And maybe it was a fatal error on my part, but I, I sat and I looked at it. I was staring at it right in the face. The pressure cycling switch, the switch that commands the air conditioning on and off based on system pressure to help maintain cool across the evaporator core, was staring me right in the face. You know what? It's cheap enough. It's I'm looking right at it. It's a little buried to get to. Not the easiest, not the worst. Let me put a pressure cycling switch in it. Delco parts, Delco cycling switch, Delco dryer. Put it in. Car blew 38 degrees. Car was cold, man. I'm telling you, this car, you could hang meat in this thing down the road. Two days later, it shows back up on my doorstep. Dan goes to get out of the car, and I'm saying, oh, he wants to tell me how good the air conditioning is working. Well, quite the opposite. It was um, it was wrong. There was something odd about it. It was quick cycling the compressor. It was warm in the car, and it was warm outside, too, and I knew Dan... And, and Dan's always been a gentleman about it, but I just it just wasn't right. Not after spending all that money and doing all that work, the man was entitled to air conditioning. My first thought was, you know what? Give me some time on Monday, two days away. Let me diagnose it. He went home. He agreed. He was fine. He went home. And I thought about it working on the car I was working on, and I said, you know what? Thinking about this logically, the only thing we changed was that cycling switch in terms of what would keep that compressor from coming on or making it short cycle. But it's new. See, sometimes I fall into the trap too. Isn't that funny? And I'm saying to myself, but it's new. It's got to be good. What does new mean, Ron? Never, ever worked. Had Dan come in the next day, got another switch out of Delco, screwed it in, fired right up, 38 degrees. So... And I'll follow up with you next week when I know more because he's going to stop by Monday or Tuesday to tell me how it's working. But the point becomes that new does not mean good. And in a day and age when there seems to be a lack of pride and workmanship in so many things, and I point this out simply because I think about you, each and every one of you. You just had... X work done at a repair shop, something went wrong, and right away it becomes another story. Right away it becomes another part. Does common sense exist? And I, I know the answer to that, and I'll get all the emails that say, no, common sense isn't so common anymore. I get that. But doesn't it also require the relationship to be there? Dan and I have a good working relationship. He's been a customer the better part of seven or eight years and he's he's a reasonable, rational person. I've never seen the man get upset once. And not because of that, but because he thinks logically, he thinks clearly. He was a he was he was a scientist of sorts in his working life, and you can see that he approaches things with a very clear and surgical manner. I had another customer this week that I haven't seen in three years. The last time I saw Sean, his 2007 Toyota Camry, had a check engine light on, and it turns out that it needed a PCM replacement. It was done under warranty, manufacturer 880, and I sent him on his way. But I haven't seen him in three years. 
And he showed up on my doorstep today. He had just had his oil change and tires rotated, a quick loop. And he said, ever since, the TPMS light came on. And he went back and he talked to him and they said there's really nothing they could do for him. There wasn't any connection. He was on his own. And I said to Sean after the repair, it was a bad TPMS sensor, and I can't say that the quick loop damaged the TPMS sensor. I can tell you that they did not relearn the position of the TPMS sensors. The car was all confused. It thought the left rear was the right front, and the right front was the left uh, front, and it just... Nobody had been learning tire pressure sensor position, which you have to do on certain cars when you do a rotate. But I said to Sean after the fact, I said, there's value in a relationship. Why weren't you here? And let me assure you, like I assured Sean, I'm not going to retire based on doing oil changes. There's not enough money in it. Oil changes to me help keep me sane. They make my job easier because... I know the patient. I know the car. My guys know the car. We know what we did the last time. We know what's coming due, and we know what's down the road. But dropping in something as complicated as the space shuttle on a repair shop, any repair shop, that they see once every three years and expecting definitive answers in a hurry just doesn't work, and it's not going to work going down the road even more. It's going to become an even bigger issue. Of course, Sean's comment to me was, it's only an oil change. There isn't any such thing as only an oil change anymore. It's all about the relationship. As Dan found out, because replacing that cycling switch, being logical, knowing the car, understanding the customer, and able to make them happy, it was, if it's not the cycling switch, it's something else completely different. But let me at least prove to him why it can't be or can be and make him happy in the long run. The relationship comes to the surface once again in a repair shop, just as new means never, ever worked. 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. The phones are lit up. Let's pull over and take a pause. When the Car Doctor returns, we're going to kick the garage doors open. Stay tuned. Welcome back. We're on the car doctor rolling along this hour. We want to we introduce and welcome our new producer this hour, Quick Carolyn, who's out there uh, talking with Tom as she's uh, chatting it up. Fast Harry is off today. So we welcome Quick Carolyn to the crew and uh, welcome aboard, kiddo, and uh, have a good run. Let's get over and talk to Joe over on line one. Let's open up the phones and see what's going on with Merritt in Connecticut, 68 Mustang. Oh, this is our Mustang that was overheating last week. Joe, welcome back. How did we make out? How you doing, Ron? Okay. Uh, well, I appreciate all the help you've given me. What? And uh, what your last uh, suggestion was uh, to back down on the uh, timing, two to four degrees, and right. uh, change the uh, go to a cooler range heat heat plug. Yeah, just drop it down one heat range. See if that makes any difference. And uh, that's what I did. So I, I got it down right now. It's running at two degrees before top dead center. Okay. And the uh, spark plugs, I had a uh, Autolite 45 in there, and I went to a 124. And uh, it it ran at 180 degrees for about 20, 25 minutes. And uh, when I got into traffic a little bit, 
it uh, kind of like went up to 185, 190. Right. And when I got on the parkway and I got up to speed, around 65 or so, it uh, climbed a little bit to 195, 200. But uh, when I got off and started cruising in the neighborhood again, it came down down to uh, 190, 195. Okay, so we're in the we're in the ball game. We're better than it was. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now let me let me ask you. I don't remember. Is this a stick or an automatic? It's an automatic C4. Okay. And it has the uh, flex light fan. Right. How and, cl- how uh, close is the fan to the radiator? Oh, about uh, an inch and a half or so. Uh, with there, the shroud. Is there a way to get it any closer? Uh, I could probably, yeah. It'd be a little tough getting to get on and off. Right. Uh, maybe, may you know, because now we're down to listen. You're in the neighborhood. Now you've got to dial it in a little bit. So okay. maybe move the fan. You know, cut the distance in half. If it's an inch and a half, and you can get a, a half inch spacer, maybe add a half inch spacer to it and bring the fan a little closer. Don't okay. rule out. Don't rule out. Uh, you know, a factory fan setup either. All right. Okay, I took that out for the flex light. Okay. Did you? How long ago did you take that out? At what point in this process did you replace the the one for the other? Oh no, I I did that a while back. Okay. About, uh, when I put the three row in. Okay. So don't don't rule out. Listen, a lot of engineering goes into production cars, and the engineer built that fan the way he did for a lot of reasons. And I, and I'm not saying flex fans don't work, but you know. There are some moments where that that fan clutch can come in handy, and it can help with parasitic drag, and can also help with you know engine power, and um, it it can do a heck of a job cooling the engine at the right moments. So well, it doesn't have the flex, the uh, the clutch in there. Okay, so the factory fan was just a straight. Was it a full right on? But this was an AC car originally, wasn't it? Uh, it was aftermarket AC I put in. Okay. Okay, now I got you. All right, I thought this was a factory air car. Right, okay. Okay, then then I would stay with the flex fan. I would move it a touch closer. And then the last thing I, I would think of is, is it, not to make this a real project, but I wonder what would happen if you took the automatic trans cooler out of the radiator. In other words, just bypassed it, mounted a cooler somewhere else. Now we're going to get into the ugly factor. Where do you put it and how do you keep the car looking original? Uh, I don't have a trans cooler. So there's no trans cooler in the bottom of the radiator? Oh, the radiator itself, yes. Right, yeah. There, There is one in the bottom of the radiator, correct? Okay. So, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. No, so what if you bypass that? What if you what if you disconnect it from the radiator? Because you've got to remember, that trans fluid is now heating the coolant. True, yeah. All right. So if we eliminate that, what's that going to do for you? Does that help the okay. cause? All right, and that's something to think about too. Now you think about. Let's go back to the three row. All right, the the reason I told you to take the three row out is because a three row radiator. If you look at it, the way they're designed, in a lot of cases, that 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 last row, the back row, doesn't really yeah. get good airflow. By the time, in, this is my theory. By the time airflow gets to it, that coolant's already passed through the radiator and hasn't had a chance to dissipate enough heat. So you're returning, you know, it comes in hot and it goes out lukewarm, whereas the stuff in the front two rows is hot to cold because it has the ability to pull air through it. Yeah. So, you know, that's the conversation about sometimes slowing down coolant flow. 
mm-hmm. you're better off. You're giving that radiator a chance to radiate and and okay. and give off heat. So now, it, what's a what's a normal temperature range? Probably just about where you are now. Two hundred five is about tops of where I'd like to see that. I can I can tell so you this. So one ninety to two hundred five. Yeah, one ninety to two hundred five is a good range. Two ten would be the the high end of where I'd start to be uncomfortable. After two ten, I'm saying, uh uh-uh. uh. Okay. Now, what sort of radiator cap do you have on this too? Uh, Thirteen pound. Okay. Um, that's what they call for. That's what they call for. All right, and just make sure the radiator cap's working right. I won't bore everybody with the conversation about what a radiator pressure cap's supposed to do in boiling point. Uh, you know, but, I tested that already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, but you may want to do that as well, just to uh-huh. uh, just just to try that. But you know, keep in mind that you're you're in the dial-in stage. All right. Okay. Listen, it took me a, it took me oh two months of playing to get the hot rod right, but. The hot rod, which is a black car, all right, mm-hmm. flex fan, because that's the only thing I could find for it, and I have a, a five- or a six-blade fan. I think it's a six-blade flex. And I have yeah, it. that's what I have. The, the, the first time I put the flex fan on the car, I had, the, I had it so close to the radiator. When I stood, when I, when, when I, when I um, let's see, how can I say this delicately? Ah, the heck with it. When I hit it, I actually pulled the fan right into the radiator and chewed up the bottom <laughs> tank. All right. So, you know, sometimes you want it as close as you can without the chance of it hitting. Okay. All right. And then, you know, once you decide to establish where that's going to be, and you can only change one thing at a time. Once you establish where that's going to be, then you're going to take a look at moving the trans cooler out of the radiator. And I mean just disconnecting it at the radiator and running an auxiliary trans cooler. Does that make any difference? Okay, yeah, that's, right. that, that I like. That's a good idea. All right, and there's a lot of choices out there in terms of what you can put on there and, you know, hide and just or you, you just need some airflow for it, all right? Uh-huh. All right, and, you know, then at that point, maybe cut timing back just a touch. You know, you've got two degrees before top. Can you take some of the top end timing out of it? Is there a way to control the total advance down from whatever you had, I think, 36, 38? Can you cut it back to 32, 34 just to try it? You're in the tuning stage, Joe. That's what this is all about now, so play with it to your heart's content. At least you've got a baseline to work from. I appreciate the call. I'm Ron Anady and the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here. Let's get over and kick the garage doors open once again and go over and talk to Chris, who's waiting there very patiently with a 2014 Ford and some problems with his turbo and fuel injection. Chris, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi, how you doing, Ron? Good. What's going on? Um, well, I am a, uh, what do you call, a very maintenance-minded person. Okay. And I believe in maintaining relationship with uh, my mechanic and uh, garages that I use. Uh, both going on 15 years. Um, so I went, I just bought this 2014 new to me uh, um, EcoBoost F-150, which is the first uh, direct injection engine I've had. Right, 3.5 liter V6. Right. right. And yeah. I, I know about the uh, the carbon up issues on them uh, versus the uh, multiports. Uh, my multiport engine... Uh, cars they've had regular fuel cleanings no problems uh regular transmission services 
differential services, radiator cooling services, whatever they need. I wanted to establish the same relationship with uh, my new truck. Um, so one of the questions was um, how often, I asked them how often, um, and what kind of plan should I put in my mind for uh, uh, induction system cleanings. They uh, were basically telling me that it's a, a no-do on the EcoBoost. Yep, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah, and and here's and here's why because it's it's funny. I just I just attended uh, the Ford class on EcoBoost and sat through two nights and listened to the instructors. And this question came up more than once, um, particularly from the guy in the third row in the blue shirt that raised his hand and went, "Hey, how come we can't do carbon cleaning on EcoBoost?" And they looked at me and went, "Because they're tired of getting this question." Um, the, the problem oh, is that well, somebody's got to say it. Uh, the problem is. The problem is, Chris, that they're worried about the aromatics and the solvents that are in the cleaners getting to the seals on the turbo, creating bigger issues. Yeah, and like washing down the bearings. Right. Yep. So yeah. it, it's it 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 becomes an issue. So the only way you can really effectively at this time clean that vehicle's fuel injection system, gasoline direct injection, is by using a tank cleaner. And that's adding a cleaner to the tank. And I would tell you at least every oil change or at least every quarter, um, if it's in the budget, do it once a month, depending upon the product you're using, and you'll end up saving yourself money in the long run. Yeah, I, I, I use um, uh, Oil uh, Ultra. Um, oil synthetic right, right. every five thousand miles. Yep, you're on track. And I use um, mobile or a tier one uh, fuel. Right. Um, here's the problem. Try to do the best I can. Right. You know what I mean? But the, the, it's the not thing enough. That kind of disturbed me about the whole thing was the only authorized um, cleaning or repair for the EcoBoost engine is either cleaning, physically cleaning the head, removing and cleaning the head, or replacing it under warranty. So right. I was like, yeah, you well, guys, to me, as a consumer, that disturbed me in the fact that, you know, I have a bumper-to-bumper extended on it for 150 but if there's people out there that don't do that, I mean, you're talking a lot of bucks well, to uh, basically uh, clean an engine that has an inherent design flaw, in my opinion. And, and, and remember this, Chris, you know, extended warranties are great, but you never want to have to use it. Because nope, that, like insurance, <laughs> that, right? It's it's you know it's just it just becomes another issue. So what I yeah. would tell you to do is there's two products I'm currently reviewing, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to decide because I see good and I see good in both of them. One's BG, the folks over at BG Products, BGProd.com. Um, yep. They talk about their in tank cleaner and their cleaning systems, mm-hmm. and uh, Berryman, uh, Berryman fuel system cleaner. Um, their name escapes me at their website, but if you just Google Berryman, B-E-R-R-Y-M-A-N, um, their cleaning system as well. Both good in-tank cleaners. Uh, they both claim to be safe for turbocharged engines. Um, they're, they're really under product review with me right now, and I don't, I, I mention this now because it's, you know, listen, you guys should know that I'm doing some research. I'm always doing research. I'm always looking for the next better thing. Because it's, it seems, unfortunately, even when a company comes out with a product that works, some manufacturer goes, ha-ha, we'll spring this on them, and then that product won't work anymore, and they'll have to create something else entirely. 
Right. So that's that's an issue. But some form of a fuel system cleaner because GDI engines do require it on a regular basis. And it wouldn't hurt, you know, depending on how many miles you go. I know some people that do it once a month. And I know people once a month that have got 300,000 miles on GDI engines that have done regular oil changes, regular maintenance, regular fuel system cleaning, and they laugh at, you know, extended warranties because they don't need it. And and right. that's, that's you know, you get what you pay for. You know, in, in a world, how can I explain this? Chris, in a, in a world that we live in where it seems like nothing makes any sense, we look at what our politicians and our leaders and our alleged heroes tell us, nothing they say makes any sense. But yet in the world of automobiles, and maybe this is why I still do this after 43 years, it's always nuts and bolts. It always uh-huh. makes sense. If you do this, you'll get that. Done. End of conversation. And there's there's no other better way to say it. You, sir, are a car guy. You're you're trying to do it. You're changing the oil right. You're using Penn's oil, good quality oil. You're trying to put good quality gasoline in it. Uh, you know, just just take a look at BP. BP makes a good gasoline. All right, if it's available in your neck of the woods. The one problem I see with gasoline, I've, I'm trying to learn not to be gasoline dependent because I still hear the stories about in 2017, 2018, EPA pulling detergent additives oh, yeah. out of the gasoline. And, yep. and if if you think we've got problems now, <laughs> it's going to be an even bigger pile uh, of problems later on because carbon issues are going to come back again, like it's 1984 and GM just brought out port fuel injected engines. So uh, it's funny. I just was talking to my buddy about the same thing. It's like it seems like we're back in time, even with the uh, yep. the salts and stuff they're using on the roads. Yep. That's why I kind of I have fun when I get back on my. I have a '91 Mustang GT that I. I uh, basically took apart every bolt and restored it and put it all back together. It made you feel... Um, it made this, you, is where, it, this is where I feel comfortable. And you know what? It, it made you feel good, right, Chris? Sometimes I think hot rods are therapy. You can go to a therapist for 200 an hour. You can go take something apart in your garage, clean it, put it back together. You know what? It makes you feel good. Uh, that's Yeah, the other, one, the other one's got all the technology in it and navigation in it, this and that. This is just uh, bare bones, raw, manual transmission, creak and moan right. car that makes right. you feel really happy. Right. Right. A, a white-knuckle car that you drive that doesn't drive you. You know, we talk right. about this all the time as an aside, and then, I, then I'm going to go. Uh, y- y- you go down, nothing wrong with them. They're great cars. Go down, buy a new Camaro, a new Corvette, a new, you know, Shelby Mustang, whatever floats your boat, right? 20 years from now, if they don't make a chip for that car, or they don't make an electronic shock absorber for that car, or they don't make something electronic, that car is now a big pile of plastic that you're going to shred. But yep. you, oh, I agree. You take that non-computerized '55 Chevy, '69 Camaro, '60, you know '68 Mustang, nuts and bolts. They're always going to be there, and so much so they're stamping those cars out still today. They're they're reproducing a lot of body pieces. So there's something to be said about working with your hands and putting together nuts and bolts. It uh, it kind of touches a person's soul and it helps keep them uh, helps keep them sane in a lot of cases. Chris, I appreciate the conversation, sir. You need me for anything else, you send me an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com, and I'll get some answers out to you. All right, kiddo? Okay, Ron. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, sir. You take good care. Thank you. I appreciate you being there. 855-560-9900. Hey, Steve Cook's coming up next. I'm Ron Anini in The Car Doctor. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this.
Hey, welcome back. We're on the Indian Car Doctor. Real quick, let's get into this. Steve Cook is a recurring guest here on the Car Doctor. He's a former teacher in auto mechanics, and uh, I suspect he's still a current teacher in auto mechanics somewhere, somehow, because that's what Steve loves to do. Uh, I wouldn't know, Steve, if he was standing next to me, but suffice it to say, it's like being at the carnival. Somebody yells, hey, Ruben, everybody shows up to help. And Steve is always welcome here as he tries to help us educate you on what's going on with automobiles in the world that we live in. So, Steve, once again, welcome back, sir. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, what's the uh, What's the news today, Stephen? Well, um, about two months ago, I was up in Michigan. I was taking some classes up there, and I learned about this new registry through the National Automotive Service Task Force. And uh, apparently, from what I've read, and then I, I called, I actually called him and talked to him, apparently that um, if you're going to do any work on cars that requires anything with the vehicle security systems on them, um, you're, you're going to have to get a uh, special ID and stuff in order to do that. They call it an LSID. Yes, from the, uh, for the, lock, the locksmith license, as we call it in the trade. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah, I... I, I when I talked to the guy, he said this all started. I didn't know this. This all started back in 2008. But uh, they are they're now they're um, they're going to implement this across the board with with all the uh, car manufacturers. So it's got some real implications for anybody that's in the automotive industry. Well, and you know what? One of those implications. You know, first of all, Stephen, Steve, I think, you know. Because this is going to be retroactive. This is going to go back to 2002, 2003. Correct. Mm -hmm. Who in their right mind wants to steal a 15-year-old Honda? They're nice cars. They're not that nice. (laughs) You know, it's – and and sometimes we spend a good portion of the day trying to cobble together junk on older cars that if we could eliminate the system, we would save the customer money in the long run. And you know, here let's make, let let let's make it a basic automobile again. We don't need the electronics. You don't need anti-theft on a, how many GM products, Steve? Uh, like ninety-eight Buick uh, uh, LeSabers, and you know that vintage with the uh, and you had a wire and a resistor at the base of the steering column because the wire mm-hmm. would break up in the top and nobody wanted to pay for it. And you would bypass the system that way. You would cheat the system, Be, or, or or better yet, I had a Pontiac uh, Grand Prix back in the day that the anti-theft module was no longer available, and we had to create a bypass. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that make sense? Well, yeah, it does. But when I was talking to this guy, one of the things he said that was a big concern, as you know, there's been a, there's been a lot of uh, going back and forth as to who owns the software in these vehicles now right? and all the information they obtain. And the guy said basically this comes down to as much of a privacy issue as anything else is what the guy was telling me. And the manufacturers are trying to find a way to protect themselves. And and I think eliminate independent repair shops to a degree, or at least control the market. Well, see, here's the thing. And that's why I asked Kim, I was talking to him. He said he didn't really think so. And he said, here's why. He said, because every technician, whether in a dealership or an independent garage, is going to have to go through this screening process and that in order to get this license, this ID. Oh, great! Yeah, everyone. Right. So, so, so if uh, if if you want to and think about this for a minute, how many modules on a car 
interact with the security systems, the interlocks and that on the vehicle. I'm going to say in terms of percentage, I've got to say two-thirds of whatever's on the vehicle has to go through the security system. In my right. mind. Okay, so right. So so look so 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 figure this for a minute. You got let's say you gotta replace a BCM on a car. Okay. And of course when you replace it, you gotta program it and what have you. And you're gonna have to get it to handshake with the immobilizer module. Right. Okay. You don't have that you don't have this LSID, it ain't gonna happen. Right, you can't program it. Right. And one of the things I asked him too, I said, "What if what if the security module is part of, say, the PCM?" I says, "Are they going to restrict your access to the PCM and to the data and things of that nature?" I don't know. I mean, you know. So the thing of it is, is what what what's really scary about this is I talked to a bunch of people about this, and very few people even know this thing's coming down the line. Right. Well, that's, you know, Steve, that's like I've talked to people recently, and I think Joel actually called you from the magazine uh, with okay. regards to the Bluetooth scan tool technology. A lot of people aren't aware of that in terms okay. of the cars are going to be, now you're going to be licensed to connect to the car with a scan tool, Bluetooth technology, the hard wire connector is going to be out the door in 2018, 2019, and, and yeah. how, how are you going to work on the vehicle? So there's, there's clearly major changes coming listen the clock's going to take us but let's leave it here for now but i do want to say steve as you get more information you're our guy in the field you give us a call and uh, we'll, we'll get up here for everyone else well if, if anybody wants any information on it go to asa.com and all you got to do is tool around their website and they'll take you right to there where they can get the information but if you're a technician uh, you better you better get on this pretty quick because you're going to be in a world of hurt if you don't. Yeah, and as as always, it's uh, it's an always ever changing field. Steve, I appreciate the right. conversation, and uh, we'll catch okay. up again real soon. You take good care. Okay, we'll see you now. Take Bye. care. Bye bye. I'm Ron and Annie in the car doctor. We are back right after this. Welcome back, Ron and Indy and the Car Doctor. Let me say thank you for spending time with me this hour. And the phone number, well, for the rest of this hour, we're not going to take any calls, but for next hour, it's going to be 855-560-9900, the Car Doctor's 24-7 number. Um, real quick piece of email. This one comes to us from Bob Zink, longtime listener. Hey, Ron, for years I've heard you answer the question, my car has been parked for so long, what should I do before driving it? I have a suggestion. Maybe checking the gas pedal for free movement may be something to add. Keep up the good work in the show and being in New York City. Glad you have the podcast available as well as a live show, Bob Z. Um, he has a 2000 Ranger. What started this was Bob wrote, he has a 2000 Ranger over the winter. He didn't really use it. Didn't really run. He says, took it to my place upstate, about 120-mile trip along the thruway. Kept feeling like there was a mat under the gas pedal when I hit the country roads going up a steep hill. I put my foot in it, top of the hill. The gas pedal stuck to the floor, and I was able to pull over to the shoulder, shut it off. Yep, the gas pedal was stuck. So he, he makes a good point. If the vehicle's been sitting for a long period of time, then it's a matter of hey, Ron, drop a little have, uh, oil on Ron, the uh, throttle linkage. Ron, uh, yeah, Tony, I'm trying you listening? To, yes, sir. Go ahead. Um, on the way to the show today, coming from Brooklyn, um, people were asking me, where can I get, where, where can they buy... Uh, a RA shirt 
Well, we're not selling our regular. Is this about T-shirts again? Yes, this is about T-shirts. By the way, you're at a yes. uniform this week. I just want no, to point I'm not. that out. You see, know. I'm wearing the navy blue RA shirt. Oh, so uh, well, so the listeners, now they want Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor T-shirts. Now they want RA Automotive T-shirts. Correct. I don't know. Should we start selling RA Automotive Go T-shirts? Go for it. What do we have to lose? Well, okay. Let's see. We'll talk about it after the show. But anyway, okay. I appreciate that, Tony. Thank you. Um, and you know, if anybody wants one, I guess well, we'll have to talk about that. That's a whole other conversation. Bob Zink, I appreciate the conversation and uh, the thoughts about checking throttle linkage. Very, very good point. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor reminding you, the mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.